Pachango. Hey Chris, everybody, Tangentialistas. Uh, my name is Jim, just sitting here listening to your latest episode. Felt compelled to send you a little message. Um, I'm here at Esperando para Cruzar. I uh, live in Tijuana for four years now. I met my wife here and got married here. And right now I'm waiting to cross the border to go help a friend of mine on her podcast. I'll probably be sitting here for about four hours. So I just wanted to say thank you so much for all the amazing content that you put out, all the amazing guests that you have. Uh, it's definitely helped me through some tough times, helped me, you know, not be so bored sitting here in the border. <laughs> so I just wanted to say keep doing what you're doing, man. Adios. Hey, all you people out there in the world, Mr. Chris Ryan, thank you for having this platform. I'm just wandering around the woods in Taiwan. I'm really, really high. I have to hide my weed under a rock like I'm in, like, fucking Breaking Bad or something because they treat it like it's heroin here. But this is what I do. It's my little treasure when the week is a little harder. Come up this mountain like some Greek sage. Anyways, keep on learning about shit. I am too. Hi Chris and everyone else listening, uh, I'm Ben from Manchester in the UK, coming to you from Korong Island in Cambodia. I'm here spending Christmas and New Year with my girlfriend and her brother and his girlfriend. It's the first time I've ever spent uh, this time of the year outside of the UK. Me and my girlfriend have been backpacking around Asia for the last six months now and it has to be said that I probably wouldn't be doing that had it not been for your podcast and um, you know your philosophy and realising that maybe I shouldn't be spending the best years of my life sat behind a desk so I kind of have you to thank for all these amazing experiences in a way uh, so thanks very much Chris keep doing the podcast and maybe I'll see you down the road one day you guys are awesome thank you for those messages and I apologise for letting them sit on my hard drive for so long <clears throat> before playing them uh, I will try to be more conscientious about that because they're so fucking cool. <clears throat> Sorry, my voice is weird. Ah, uh, let me get some Spindrift in there. I don't know if you guys drink Spindrift, but Anya and I go through a lot of Spindrift. It's, uh, it's sparkling water with real fruit juice, and that's it. No bullshit. It's pretty good as far as those canned beverages go. All right, so this is Aroma. Uh, I don't know why I'm checking in, really. I don't, uh, you know, it's going to be a spontaneous thing. I've recorded a few really interesting conversation podcasts in the last week or so. I went from sort of not doing any for a while to banking a bunch of them all of a sudden. Somebody sent me, uh, I think it was a comment on Substack, Um and I apologize for not taking the time to go look it up and thank you personally, but you know who you are. Uh, you sent me a, a, <clears throat> a thing and you said, hey, Chris, I think this couple would kind of resonate with you. 
Uh, they're very cool. They've traveled all over the world walking. The dude's about 30 years older than the woman. They have an open relationship. They're super adventurous. And, and he sent me a YouTube link. I think it was a guy. And I went and looked at, um, it was the show uh, where this guy went and visited them in this little cabin in Bulgaria where they live. And um, uh, their names are Miriam and Peter. And uh, and then he went back and visited them again four years later. When I post the episode, I'll, I'll include the link to the TV show. I forget the guy's name. is a British a BBC show. And it was excellent it was just so fucking moving and interesting and compelling and so i i just went to her youtube page and i mean at first i saw she had a youtube page and i saw i don't know how but there was i could like send a message or something i sent her a message i told her where i was and hey you want to do a podcast and in two hours i got an email back saying yeah i'll do your podcast and so anyway we recorded one just miriam and i think i'm going to do one with um with peter down the road somewhere um but awesome really interesting miriam lancewood if you want to look her up on youtube um, she's a beautiful Dutch woman, uh, athlete and, um, yeah, just, uh, and they've traveled all over the world with like without even a tent, just sleeping under trees or find a shed or under a bridge or whatever. And they've walked all over Europe and all over uh, New Zealand. They, they live nomadically in the wilderness in New Zealand for years all over India, um, just amazing, like real, real badass stuff. So anyway, that was awesome. Um, and then I got a, you know, I get these um, emails from publicists pitching guests. And 90% or 95% is just like, are you fucking kidding me? You know, it's all like, you know, so-and-so has discovered the the secret of free energy and, you know, the world will never be the same. Why don't you have so-and-so on your podcast? That's one type of pitch I get. Another type is, um, you know, this sort of like business guru who can show you how to make lots of money and you know, find happiness and, and abundance and blah, 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 kind of an Oprah thing, you know. I'm not interested in those. Uh, what's the other? I don't know. There's, they're, they're, you know, they're, they're generally pretty fucking cheesy, like bullshit people. Like the only reason I would ever have them on is to sort of challenge them and like, you know, what are you really doing here? You're a fucking scam artist, but yeah, I don't, that's not really appealing as a way to spend time. So anyway, um, but occasionally I get one and it's like, well, that's kind of weird. Okay. So this one was Moby, the musician, uh, who has started a podcast and I guess, I don't know if they've hired a publicity firm or something to try to spread the word about the podcast. It's called the Moby pod. And he does it with his friend, Lindsay, who the publicist for some reason thinks is his cousin. Um, that's how it was pitched to me. Um, but 
anyway, so I recorded the podcast with them yesterday. And I got to be honest with you, when I started it, I thought, I don't even know if I'm going to, if I'm going to post this one, right? We'll just see how it is. Because if it's just like, you know, famous people sort of, you know, slumming to be on my podcast to spread the word for something that they're doing to try to cash in on being famous. And um, yeah, I'm I'm not really into that. Um, and I've I've met Moby once. It was a long time ago, and actually we talk about it on the podcast. And and it was at a birthday party. There were lots of people there, so I didn't have a chance to hang out with him at all. Um, but. I came away from it so impressed. Like, and and I had a sense, honestly, because like in the few hours before the podcast, I went and looked at some interviews um, that he had done, uh, some stuff on YouTube, and I read some stuff. And he comes across as a really thoughtful guy. And in our conversation, he, he was. He was thoughtful and sincere and open and self-deprecating and humble and uh funny and Lindsay was great um you know there's you know obviously he's the famous one so you know there's kind of a an imbalance in that sense um but she's awesome she's really uh funny and cool and uh in the middle of it their dog she noticed that their the dog had a tick and they so in the midst of the podcast, while we're talking, they're removing the tick from the dog. I don't know if that's ever happened on a podcast before, but that's coming your way soon. Yeah. So uh, anyway, speaking of of episodes, um, the Nathan. Oh, oh, sorry. I, I one more that I want to talk to you about is John Colopinto, uh, who wrote. A book called As God Made Him, I think it is. Let me see. I've got a copy of another one of his books here. Um, yeah, I've got a copy of his book, uh, Undone, which we talk about in the podcast. As Nature Made Him is a book that he wrote about a guy, uh, a tragic case of a guy who, when he was a baby, an infant, uh, there was a circumcision accident, two words you never want to hear in the same phrase. And uh, I guess this was in the 70s. And at the time, the the prevailing theory, which I don't know, has kind of come back around again, I guess. But uh, the prevailing theory was that gender identity was entirely socially constructed and had nothing whatsoever to do with biology. So um, because they basically cut off this baby's dick by accident, they called in uh, a doctor named John Money, who was a famous sexologist. I wrote about some of his research in Sex at Dawn. And John Money said, well, uh, you might as well just remove the rest of the penis. And because gender is totally socially constructed, just raise the child as a girl and she'll never know the difference. She'll just think she's a girl and she'll live her life as a girl and that'll be it. Well, it turns out gender is not totally socially constructed, at least as far as that case goes. Uh, I, I would argue it certainly isn't, and it's kind of absurd to think that it is, but many people fiercely hold that position. 
Um, so yeah, he wrote that book. Uh, he met the, the guy, um, man, what a story. I won't get into it more. You can read about it all over. It's on the internet. Um, or you can get the book as nature made him. Anyway, John, John Colopinto and I had a fascinating, wide ranging conversation. And John is one of these guys that, um, I feel so relaxed around that I end up saying things that I probably shouldn't just because I'm so fucking relaxed and happy to be talking with this guy who's so smart and so funny and so quick. So um, I'm going to edit out parts of that conversation. And I think I'm going to be doing, I, I hate to say this, but I'm going to be doing this pretty often uh, from here on out. There's going to be a free version and a version just for paid customers. Part of that, I mean, I got to be honest with you, I fucking hate, you know, how I get about money. But every time I do that, like, you know, 10, 15 people subscribe to the podcast. And given the fact that, you know, I pay the rent with this, I guess I should pay attention to things like that. So um, apologies to those of you who are not paying subscribers. If you really can't afford it, but really want to, as always, let me know and we will work something out. You can, you know, send me vials of, of your blood or, um, you know, your used panties or um, boxers. If you're a guy, we'll, we'll figure something out. Um, but anyway, uh, I think in conversations like that one with John, I'm just going to edit out the stuff that I kind of wish I hadn't said publicly and, or, you know, I'm dubious about having said publicly and, um, that'll be for the paid listeners. So it's still public, but it's like, it's like the inner circle. It's like the people I trust are not going to take things out of context or try to fuck me over. So I guess we'll, we'll do it that way. Uh, other news, uh, the Budokan workshop, the Sex of Dawn retreat that's happening at the beautiful property of um, Mullane and Cameron Shane outside of Whitefish, Montana in August, from August 20th to 25th, is filling up fast. So, and, and some really cool people have been sending in applications. So if you're interested in possibly joining us there, definitely um, go to the the Budokan website. I'm opening up my WhatsApp right now. I'll find you the link in a second here. Um, and uh, and send in an application for that. I, we're all, we, we, you know, this is the second time we've done this, but we're definitely getting more people um, applying than there are spaces. But what we do is we kind of, let you know see how quickly the applications are coming in and then um and then when we've got like you know enough then we try to make a good group a good um mix of people you know because we get like couples who want to come we get solo women solo dudes um, we get people who are you know sort of dealing with particular kinds of challenges in life that they want to um, you know, they're more interested in the movement aspect of what's of what we're doing and the martial arts and the, the yoga and the dance, or they're more interested in the, in the sexuality and the relationship side. So we want to get a good mix. And um, so that's the only reason we sort of do this selection thing. 
It's uh, yeah, it's from Sunday, August twentieth to Friday, August twenty fifth, and you can find out more about it at BudoCon B U D O K O N dot com, and then uh, forward slash retreats, and and you'll see it there. It's the Sexaton retreat with me, Christopher Ryan, Anya Katz, Cameron, and Malane Shane, and we'll all be leading and participating and uh, swimming in lakes and eating food grown in the garden and playing horseshoes and all sorts of... Last year we went to a, a rodeo in Whitefish, Montana. That was an experience. <clears throat> Not an entirely good experience. As soon as we walked in, the first thing we saw, we hadn't even gotten to our seats yet. And this they were doing the kids, which I guess is like the the opening act they have like the, the 12 13 14 year old boys riding small bulls and man we saw this kid get tossed and landed on his back and didn't move and it's like i don't know if he broke his neck i don't know if he was dead but it was heavy and you know everyone was like oh a big hush and you know the announcer was trying to fill time and he's like well He's not moving, but, you know, I'm sure Bobby can hear you, so give him a big hand, you know? And it's like, Jesus, the things people do to impress girls, you know? I guess. Why the fuck else would you be a 14-year-old kid riding a bull at a rodeo? I mean, if you win, what do you win? 20 bucks and a belt buckle? Who gives a shit? I don't know, but I did stupid shit to impress girls when I was 14, God knows. So who am I to give him any shit about that? So here's a quote for you. The bad news is you're falling through the air. Nothing to hang on to. No parachute. The good news is there's no ground. That's Chogyam Trungpa, the Tibetan Buddhist who had a lot to do with the founding and popularizing of Crestone, Colorado, where I sit right now. He's one of the main reasons there are two, not one, but two Tibetan stupas here in Crestone. So the bad news is you're falling through the air with nothing to hang on to and no parachute. The good news is there's no ground. So I don't know. I I pulled that quote up and I thought that's something to talk about on Aroma not necessarily because I know what he meant by that. I feel like it can be interpreted in different ways. But what it means to me at the moment, and I'm open to other interpretations, of course, if you want to send them in or comment uh, in the episode notes, is... um is that the feeling of vertigo, this feeling of like, holy shit, I don't know what I'm doing, I'm lost, time is slipping away, I'm falling, I'm falling, and it's getting faster, and the, this sort of panic-inducing desperation to slow it down, or stop it, or find a way to take a rest in the middle of it or save yourself, save ourselves. This is unavoidable. This is part of the condition of being alive. And the extent to which we try to escape that 
is the extent to which we are dealing with anxiety, with addiction, with depression, um, you know, with all these manifestations of discomfort um, and rejection of things as they are. But the good news is there's no ground, meaning it won't kill you. You never hit the ground. I mean, you do, you die. But, you know, it's almost like saying, don't worry, death won't kill you. Death is just death. Death is unavoidable, so there's no point in running from it. There's no point in hiding from it. This is one of the reasons I I just feel so sorry for these billionaires who think they're going to buy their way out of death. These Silicon Valley dipshits who think that having lots of money means that they're going to, you know, be able to... upload their brains into a fucking software or they're going to freeze their heads or they're, you know, whatever the fuck it is they think they're doing. Sorry, guys. It's the nature of existence. Everything that has ever lived has died. That's just the way it works. And trying to separate yourself from that reality is a waste of time, a waste of money and a waste of, of life itself. It's, it's almost like a surrendering to death by trying to escape death because, you know, the time that you spent freaking out about the fact that you're going to die one day is time you could have spent living it's time you could have spent dancing and kissing and eating and fucking and coming and shitting and sleeping and looking at sunsets and playing with kids and scratching dogs and doing all the stuff that makes life fucking wonderful. But instead, you're running around trying to extend your life in terms of, you know, in a linear sense, which then it makes it shallow. It's like the Salton Sea. It's the biggest body of water in California, but it's about fucking five inches deep. You know, it's 20 miles wide and 40 miles long, but it's two inches deep. Is that the kind of life you want? Because that's the kind of life you get when you spend it running around trying to avoid death. So anyway, that's what it means to me, that, that you're falling through the air. There's nothing to hang on to, no parachute. The good news is there's no ground. So if that's the case, how many of us realize it and stop panicking and enjoy the feeling of flight? Because the only difference between flying and falling is the ground, <laughs> right? I mean, I mean, you're falling, you know, you're falling or you're flying. It's the same damn thing. You're just like going through the air, weightless. And um, if there's no ground, I mean, orbit is is endless falling, right? Orbit is falling toward the Earth at the same rate at which the Earth is moving out of the way. So you just keep falling and falling and falling and missing the earth, but the gravitational pull sort of keeps you close enough that you keep falling, right? But we don't say satellites are continuously falling. We say they're orbiting. They're flying, I guess. Um, Yeah. So anyway, I thought that was an interesting quote. 
from Mr. Trungpa, who died from alcoholism, apparently, but he didn't consider himself to be an alcoholic. He just liked to drink, and the fact that the doctors were telling him it was killing him didn't seem to bother him enough that he stopped. Yeah, he was uh, an interesting character. Uh, A lot of people have stories about him. He liked to sleep with women. He liked to drink. He liked to eat. He liked to party. He liked to have a good time. And he wasn't uh, apologetic about it. I guess there's a there's a, a lineage in uh, Tibetan Buddhist thought um, that uh, treats pleasure as a route to enlightenment, and I think uh, Trungpa is part of that lineage. Speaking of which, um, I've been thinking about books to uh, to do another book club because uh, we got a really good group in the first book club we did about the unbearable lightness of being. And one of the books that I've been looking at, uh, there are three books here. And uh, the one I was just reminded of is called Open to Desire, The Truth About What Buddha Taught by Mark Epstein. And basically this um, book argues that Well, here, I'll read the back cover. It is common in both Buddhism and Freudian psychoanalysis to treat desire as if it is the root of all suffering and problems. But psychiatrist Mark Epstein believes this to be a grave misunderstanding. In this controversial defense of desire, he makes clear that it is the key to deepening intimacy with ourselves, each other, and our world— Proposing that spiritual attainment does not have to be detached from intimacy or eroticism, open to desire takes a new look at what the Buddha actually taught about humanity's most paradoxical emotion. This, um, I'm interested in reading this book because, as some of you have heard me say, uh, I have always been very attracted to Buddhism and and respectful of Buddhism, but the one bone of contention that I've always had with Buddhism is this anti-desire stance that desire leads to suffering, desire leads to clinging, desire leads to this and that. And I've just always felt in my blood that that's wrong. At least for me, it's wrong. Um. You know, to me, that's kind of like a, you know, all drugs are addictive uh, approach to to consciousness, which obviously I don't agree with either. Um, you know, desire to me feels... Now, there have been times in my life when desire has felt torturous, sure. Um, but overall, even though it was torturous, it was enlivening it was vital it was vigorous it was it was life itself speaking through me it was life saying get you a woman dude or you know get out of this fucking cubicle that you're in or you know get the fuck outside and and walk in the rain or what whatever the desire was you know, it was frustrating not to be able to have it, of course, immediately, but it's a feeling of being alive. It's like hunger. Hunger is not bad. I mean, 
Starvation's bad, but hunger itself just brings more pleasure when you finally eat. Um, so anyway, that that book seems interesting. I mean, these are all books I'm going to read anyway, so I'm just not sure which ones are most appropriate for a book club with uh, listeners. Now, here's another one that someone sent me uh, a recommendation to, um, because I've talked about writing an erotic memoir, and this is called The Surrender, an erotic memoir, by Tony Bentley, who was, um, I think she was a ballet dancer, like a prominent ballet dancer. And I think the story is that she got involved... Yeah, okay, she danced with George Balanchine's New York City Ballet for 10 years. Um, Let me see, I'll read you the back cover of this too. Few women do it and even fewer will admit to it. Hmm. But in Tony Bentley's daring and intimate memoir, The Surrender, she pulls the sheets back on an erotic experience that's been forbidden since the Bible and celebrates, quote, the joy that lies on the other side of convention where risk is real and rapture resides, unquote. From the story of O to the kiss to the sexual life of Catherine M., all of which I've read, uh, readers have been enthralled with sexually subversive memoirs by women. But even those erotic classics didn't navigate the psychosexual terrain that Bentley does when she meets a lover who introduces her to a radical and unexpected pleasure, to the, quote, holy, unquote, act that she came to see as her awakening. The Surrender is a witty, intelligent, and eloquent exploration of one woman's obsession that will be sure to leave readers questioning their own desires. Now, I think I read a review of this when it came out years ago. Let's see, when was it published? Uh, It was definitely a while back. It's a HarperCollins book, 2004. I think this, I think what they're referring to is anal sex. I think like she gets into anal sex, so I don't know. I don't know if it's all that subversive and bizarre, but... Anyway, um, yeah, so that's another another book that might be interesting. If you've never read the story of, oh, that's a very interesting book. Uh, big mystery over who wrote that for decades. And then they finally uh, identified the author who was an old lady by now. And um, the story was that she was having an affair with a publisher, I think. They're French. And then the the affair had to end, but they maintained their erotic connection by her writing these fantasy stories for him that then they put together into a book and published anonymously. And that's an interesting book about the whole sort of BDSM and dominance, well, DS, uh, dominance and submission relationship that uh, that they had, at least in their fantasy life. I don't know about their real life. More news for you. I will be flying to Atlanta on June 5th to record a show with Rick Beato, his show. Um, we were just chatting and, and he, like in Twitter DMs, and he said, 
dude, you should come to Atlanta. I'll have you on my show. And I was like, what? You'll have me on your show? Um, I'm not a musician. And it's all, it's called All About Music. So I guess we'll talk about music. Um, but it's a fucking honor because I don't know that he's had any non-musicians on his show. He's had Sting and... Um, you know, Peter Frampton and, and you know, just like Chuck Rainey and these amazing musicians. Um, so yeah, it's a fucking honor. So I will fly to Atlanta to do that. Uh, it's just some people I've mentioned this, I guess on another show and some people from Atlanta have reached out. I'm sorry. I'm only going to be there that one day. I'm flying in in the morning, going to record the thing with Rick. We'll have dinner. I'll go to bed and I get up and fly out the next morning. So I won't be able to do a, a get together or anything while I'm there or, or hang out with folks as much as I'd love to. I've never been to Atlanta. I, I don't know that this even counts. Uh, it's, <laughs> I'm not going to see much of Atlanta, um, but uh, I'll let you know when that comes up. Uh, that, that'll be really fun. All right, ladies and gentlemen, that's about it. Uh, I just wanted to sort of hang out with you guys for a little while and check in and say hello. And this is how I do it. The sun is going down. It's fucking awesome in Crestone right now. It's the weather's unstable. It's beautiful. And then the big clouds come in and then it rains and then it's beautiful. And um it's just uh, really dramatic. The sky is awesome here. It's always moving and changing. There can be five different weather systems in the sky at any given time. It's really beautiful. I'll post a few photos taken from the back deck of the house, our little cabin here. The guy who built the house was kind of an interesting character. He he did a lot of things that I don't really understand. And one of them is he built this big deck off the second floor of the house that is not attached to the house. It's right next to the house. It would have been easy enough to attach it, but he didn't. And what I've been told is that he thought if um, a brush fire came raging up the hill and hit the deck, he would run out with a chainsaw and you know, Arnold Schwarzenegger-like, cut down the deck and it would fall away from the house and save the day and he would be a hero and that would uh, that would be the way that would go. Uh, so consequently, he's in Europe and we have a deck that sort of shimmies and jumps around every time you get out there, which, you know, being 25 feet above the ground is kind of uh, awkward, but it's got a beautiful view. So I think as long as we don't have any dance parties or orgies or anything rhythmic happening on the deck, we should be good. But some at some point this summer, I'm going to have to sort of take it apart and attach it to the house and put some spacers in it and, and just sort of what I'm doing all over the house, which is basically going around behind him and trying to fix the things that um, that he kind of did halfway or backwards or whatever interesting i'm learning a lot um yeah so i'll send you or no, i'll send you i keep forgetting i'm not actually this is not like a phone call uh i will post along with this episode and Substack some photos of projects i'm working on right now around the house and some photos from the back deck uh, that i just took last night or maybe that i'll go and take right now 
I've gotten a lot of feedback about the last episode I posted with uh, Nathan, uh, the sort of mentorship conversation. And uh, the feedback has been extremely positive. Thank you for that. Uh, thank you for your suggestions, your comments. Uh, some of you reached out to me directly. Some of you commented on Substack. And uh, apparently people are finding value in that. So we're going to continue the series. Uh, we're going to do another one in June and another in July. Um, and then, I don't know, maybe maybe I'll continue, you know, do one of those a month more or less, but with, with different people who have different things they want to talk about. Um, I'm certainly open to it. I Somebody <laughs> captured the conundrum. They said to me, like, Look, I know it makes you uncomfortable to be giving advice and, you know, coming across with this guru energy, but that's exactly why I want to listen to what you have to say, because it makes you uncomfortable to say it. And it's like, yeah, okay, <laughs> I get it. Um, so I guess I will continue to be uncomfortable and continue to be honest about that. I'm sorry if that becomes tiresome uh, on your end, but I do feel like that's part of the value, right? I mean, this quote I always throw out, honor those who seek the truth, flee from those who claim to have found it, right? If I ever start coming across like, you know, well, you know, now that I'm 62 years old, I understand that the secret to life is blah, 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 blah. Send me your money and I'll tell you the rest of the story. If, if I start coming across like that, somebody, you know, come and kick me in the ass. You know where to find me. Um, okay, one other thing I wanted to say, and this is a much longer rant, um, and it's something actually that that I kept wanting to mention to Nathan in that conversation, and I never got to it. We talked about travel and how living around the world can lead to a place where you don't feel a sense of community because you, you know, your friends are all spread out all over the place and you don't have that sort of physical proximity that you do have if you stay in your hometown or, you know, you hang out with people from work or whatever. But one thing that I didn't say um, that kept sort of you know, it was like a woodpecker at the back of my head, just sort of tick, tick, tick occasionally, is that it's not just the, the mobility of travel and all that. It's more general than that. And this is something actually that Moby and I talked about a little bit the other day. It's that, like, we all want to have interesting lives. And we all want to be rich in some way you know maybe it's financial maybe it's in terms of experience maybe it's in terms of fame um but whatever it is we we sort of want our lives to be different and special and um larger than average or or certainly different than average and the problem with that is that it's, well, I don't mean to say the problem with it. I mean to say one of the costs that we don't tend to think about is that the more unusual your life is, the fewer people are going to be able to relate to you. And you may even find 
that people are hostile toward you because you make them feel bad about themselves. I remember the first time I went to Mexico. I was in college. It was my first trip like to a non-English speaking country. And I had all these crazy adventures. I think I've probably talked about this in Aroma, but I was in San Cristobal de las Casas. It was when I was teaching self-defense to these guys who had taken over a hacienda. And it turned out, well, it's a long story. I'm pretty sure I've told it. Go back and find the Roma where I'm in Mexico. And it's amazing. I, I just had these incredible experiences. And I came back and I had to do like another uh, trimester in the university to graduate or whatever. And so I'm back on campus and I'm like, <laughs> I mean, I'm kind of ridiculous. I'm wearing a serape and, you know, I've, you know, whatever. I'm like, Mr. I've been to Mexico. And my two closest friends, you know, the three of us used to hang out all the time, uh, Mike and Kevin. And uh, I, I, just remember the two of them just sort of looking at each other like, oh, Jesus, this guy's so full of shit. And I, it made me feel so bad, like not only because we were, the three of us were good friends and now I was kind of shunned, but because I wasn't trying to say I'm better than anyone else. I'm not trying to say you guys are losers because you didn't fucking go to Mexico like I did. And, you know, I, I wasn't, that wasn't my vibe at all. My vibe was just like, guys, this was fucking awesome. And I thought they'd be happy for me. But they weren't. They were threatened by it. And it's the same thing if you're with an awesome woman. You would think your friends would be like, dude, you scored. She's so great. Good for you. But a lot of times, they'll resent you. Whether it's a relationship, or it's experience, or it's you got a great job, or you got your fucking book published, or you got your movie made, or you got you went to Bhutan and you had a great time, or you got your sailboat, or whatever it is. If you're living a dream, if you are doing it, at least for me, and I think for a lot of people, it doesn't occur to you that that's going to become an impediment to friendship with most people who aren't living a dream. One of the beauties of, of my relationship with my friend Mike Lang, who's been on the podcast a couple of times, is that his life is totally different from mine. He's, you know, been married a long time, three kids, the job, you know, the, the money, like he's, he's a solid citizen while I'm, you know, tripping balls and, you know, sleeping with women from every continent or whatever I was doing. Um, but we both are really happy for each other. Neither one of us resents anything about the other's life. In fact, it's, it just makes us feel fucking awesome. Like, I'm so glad you got to do that. He named one of his kids after me. I mean, it's so beautiful. Um, so I think that um, that's, I was just thinking about that, that, that it's, it's hard to be disappointed that people that you think will just be happy for you end up resenting you and 
feeling threatened by you or whatever. And that's not something that we talk about very much. But, you know, those of you who are, you know, like the the people in the, the intro snips, like the guys in Cambodia and, you know, or the dudes in, uh, you know, living in Tijuana or he's the guys in uh, Taiwan. And it's like you can't go home again after that. Because you go home and people you think are going to be happy for you are just like, fuck you, dude. You know, I'm still working down at the 7-Eleven. And, and of course, it's not your fault that they are doing that. I mean, and I'm not saying there's anything work wrong with working at the 7-Eleven. I've done it. But I think that, um, yeah, it's it's disappointing and it's sad to be disappointed in people. And, uh, but there's somebody that I'm not disappointed with. And I just want to give him a plug here. There's a guy named Lloyd Kahn. He's been on this podcast, uh, at least once. And I'd love to have him on a lot more times. He was the shelter editor for the whole earth catalog. He's 80 some years old and he surfs and he's got, you know, he decided to learn to skateboard a few years ago and he's like, he's just awesome. He's a fucking specimen of how to get older and how to stay active and cool and in the mix. And he's just a fucking lovely dude. He and his wife, Leslie are really wonderful people. And, um, he built his house out of like, um, scavenged lumber you know like 30 years ago he's built all sorts of shit anyway he's got a publishing company called shelter publications and um like he does books where he sort of i mean he did like handmade books and he's he's done all sorts of of really cool shit anyway a couple of weeks ago I got an email from Lloyd. He said, Hey, uh, it occurred to me, you don't have a copy unless I've already sent it to you. I don't think you have a copy of this book renovations. You should really have it. You're doing all this work. It's like a Bible of renovations. It's really good. I'll send you a copy. Some of your address. So I sent him my address. And I thought this was a book that he had published. Anyway, I go to the post office the other day and there's this book. Um, I'm going to grab it. It's massive. It's like an encyclopedia. Renovations, fifth edition, completely revised and updated. Michael Litchfield and Chip Harley. Uh, And it's $50. And Lloyd didn't publish this. Lloyd fucking bought this and sent it to me. And... I mean, what an awesome dude. And I wrote to him and I, I said, Lloyd, wait a minute. Did you buy this book? Let me send you money. Let me Venmo you money or something. You don't, you know, Lloyd's not a rich dude. And, uh, and he wrote back, but he didn't answer the question about if he bought, <laughs> how he got the book and why. Anyway, the point is there are awesome, beautiful people out there. And Lloyd Kahn is one of them. So I would encourage you to go to Shelter Publications because he's got all kinds of really cool books. Um, and uh, and buy, buy some of his books. I've, I've got one right here called Small Homes, The Right Size. 
Um, he sent me another one. I think it's called Moving Homes, which is all about people living in vans that they've tricked out or RVs or cars or whatever. And um, order one of his books or a few of them and you'll see what I'm talking about. They are small batch, homemade, really charming, beautifully made books um, that'll just make you happy about life in the world and the people out there doing their thing. There's a guy in the, I was just looking at the book today. Um, there's a guy in a, in a wheelchair and he's got his van all worked out so he can reach everything. And he's got like a hydraulic lift so he can get himself in and out. And this guy's driving all over the North America. He's living in his truck and like he's, it's not stopping him. Um, just awesome. Really cool. So, um, if that sounds awesome and you want to support, support people like Lloyd doing really cool shit, go to shelterpub.com and, uh, and, and look at all the books he's got there. He's yeah. Rolling homes, shelter on wheels is this, uh, this one about trucks and vans. It's really cool. Builders of the Pacific Coast, the Half Acre Homestead, Tiny Homes. So I think Lloyd basically invented the idea of tiny homes. Um, the Barefoot Architect, Driftwood Shacks. And he's got probably a dozen or more uh, books that he's published. Okay, that's enough for me. I feel like I've been talking for almost an hour now. My voice is starting to go. I'm sending out a lot of love to you people, one and all, and I'm going to play you out with a song called Too Much Reality by friend of the show, Brett Newski. Uh, the lyrics are, what can you do but shrug your shoulders? You wanted the moon inside your cup holder. So ration the air and auction the seas off and trade all your land for one breath of oxygen. Drive, drive, drive till you can't see the sky. The dog days are long over. Push max capacity, forego all healing, taking for granted all sanity, too much reality. Okay, so that's kind of a heavy tune, um, but Brett Newski is really fun live, and he's on tour right now. I'm looking at his website. It's Newski Music, N-E-W-S-K-I, music.com. And, uh, yeah, he's, he and his band are out on tour. Let me see here. We're May. So coming up, uh, Seattle on the 23rd of May and then Bend, Oregon, and then Portland, Oregon, and then Port Angeles, Washington. That's the 23rd, 24th, 25th, 26th. And then takes a few days to drive to Wisconsin uh, Marshfield, Wisconsin on June 2nd, June 9th in Berwyn, Illinois, June 10th in Milwaukee. Uh, looks like they're going to be in the Midwest all through June and uh, into the fall. Yeah, so if you're in the Northwest, you can see them in the next few days in Seattle, Bend, Portland, or Port Angeles. And after that, it's uh, Wisconsin. All right, this is Brett Newski. Brett Newski Music, sorry, newskimusic.com is the website. He and his band listen to this podcast in the van occasionally. Hey, fellas, 
Thanks for the tune. All right, this is Brett Newski and the band coming at you live tonight uh, at the midnight hour. It's too much reality. Hope you're having fun out there. Catch you on the upside. Self-try the dawn day. 